What would it take to arouse your life, to experience more connection, more pleasure, more realness in and outside of the bedroom? I'm August McLaughlin, and this is Girl Boner Radio. What does it take to make a healthy romantic relationship last longer and get stronger over time? And how do we know when it's best to end a relationship? Psychologist Dr. Gary Lewandowski explores these topics in detail in his new book, Stronger Than You Think, The 10 Blind Spots That Undermine Your Relationship and How to See Past Them. Dr. Lewandowski has researched relationships for years through his Relationship Science Lab. He's also been featured in The New York Times, NPR, The Atlantic, Cosmopolitan, and more. His empowering TED Talk, Breakups Don't Have to Leave You Broken, has been viewed nearly two million times. Recently, Dr. Lewandowski joined me to explore several common myths about romantic relationships and to share a bit about his own love story. As a heads up, you'll hear me refer to him both as Dr. Lewandowski and simply as Gary in this episode. If you'd like to embrace some of the fun sexual novelty you'll hear about some today, head to thepleasurechest.com to check out their latest deals on awesome sex toys, lubes, and more. From kink accessories and sexual health products, to the latest and greatest in vibrators, dildos, and couples toys, they really have it all. Head to thepleasurechest.com or click the link down in the show notes to start shopping. So Gary met his wife one day during the summer before his senior year of college. I was was waking up at the time and I heard, you know, this ruckus literally on my ceiling. Given the crashing and banging around, Gary figured someone was moving in and having a really tough time. So he decided to offer to help out on his way to the gym. As he stepped outside, he spotted a woman entering the building. I say, hey, you know, are you moving in? She said, yeah, you know. I said, do you need any help? Because I'm figuring, you know, like, I'm going to the gym anyway. I could just skip the gym, go, you know, move some furniture, like, no big deal. She's like, oh, no, no, we, we have it. You know, with all, like, you know, the independence and, and things that, you know, it, she's so wonderful at now. I was like, oh, okay. She lived upstairs, but didn't really see her. Like, you know, my roommates and I would talk about the hot girl that lived upstairs and, you know, just kind of, like, joke around and all that kind of stuff. A couple of weeks later, it turned out that they were in a class together, a psychology internship class. And once a week, they would carpool with other students to a church where, down in the basement, they learned counseling skills. And Gary soon realized that he wanted to spend more time with this strong woman who had caught his eye. We would get out of class at night and we'd say, hey, you know, we're going out to a party. Do you want to go? And she was like, no. <laughs> week after week, I would ask her and like, try to make conversation, all this stuff. And it was always, no, no. Okay. It wasn't flat out asking her to go on a date or anything. I was just like, hey, you know, no, no. Then finally, by the end of the semester, um, we had this end of semester project where we had to present with somebody else about our placement. And so it was a, it was a sign-up sheet. And so you could sign up wherever you wanted. So I, I did what, you know, any crafty guy would do is I kind of scanned the sheet. I saw her name and I made sure I signed up to be in her group. 
during that, that week or so leading up to the final exam period when we had to uh, do this presentation, I played as dumb as I could possibly play to make sure I constantly needed her help. And so I would need help with notes. I would need help with what's this assignment about. So, you know, one thing led to another. And then, you know, we finally kind of arranged, like, like let's do you want to like go out. Like, like, and she's like, sure. So I had this like really, you know, sweet date, you know, I ended up with like a walk around campus. You know, we ended up, you know, outside for a little while. Then we went back to her place and had hot chocolate. And we ended up like talking for, I don't know how many hours it was. It was like three o'clock in the morning. And that night I was supposed to be studying for the GREs that I had the next day. So, you know, forsaking my academic future, I spent hours and hours talking to my future wife. God, it is the best decision I ever made. From there, the pair started dating. As Gary explained in his book, they had only been dating about six months when he left for grad school and she stayed to finish her undergrad studies. They spent a year dating from a distance. Meanwhile, Gary was learning all about relationships from an academic standpoint. And so, you know, I'm learning all, all these findings about what great relationships are like. And, and, you know, you start getting into like that medical student syndrome where it's like, oh my gosh, I have an itch here. This could be, I can have this problem. I can have this problem. I have this problem. You know, I start having a lot of questions. One thing I really appreciate about Dr. Lewandowski is that he speaks not only with authority about relationship factors and findings from an expert's point of view, but he's open about related challenges that most everyone experiences, including himself. We, we made it, you know, she ended up get, getting into grad school where I was at. Um, we ended up moving in together. And, you know, that sounds wonderful. And it is wonderful in a lot of ways. But it's like, all of a sudden, now we're living together. We're both poor. We're both students. We're both stressed out. It was tough. You had kind of like all those developing relationship times that were really, really tough. People often say things to Gary like, oh, you study relationships. That certainly must help your relationship. And in some ways, it must have, he said, because he and his wife have been happily together for 20 years now. People always think, oh, like, you know, you must bring up like, well, this research study says this. And it's like, I've learned a long time ago not to do that. But what it does help me know is what to worry about, what not to worry about. And I really learned to focus more on the positives. And when it comes to healthy romantic relationships, Gary said he's learned that many people are harder on the relationships than they need to be. Not early on. Early on, everyone's like, honeymoon stages and you're like you're actually go the other way you're like way too easy on your relationship but then over time like life gets in the way and when life gets in the way it's uh it can be tough one reason we might go hard on a pretty great relationship or one that's evolving into something great involves unrealistic standards which brings us to today's first myth that seeking that one perfect soulmate is a fabulous idea you know, it's something I call a perfection trap. And people were very romantic. And I don't think people really fully appreciate just how romantic we are, particularly Americans, right? When I say we, I'm speaking Americans. We have this pedestal version of love that, you know, when we find the one, the one is just going to be, it's going to be so obvious. And, and not only is it going to be obvious, it's going to be easy. And we're just going to mesh and it's going to be magical. And it's going to be all these great things. We get tricked by this because early on in relationships, it almost is always like that. 
right? You know, your first week, month or so, you know, like that early period of relationships, it it is like that. And so you kind of can live that honeymoon, you can live that fantasy, but then reality kind of gets in the way. And so we know from research that the, the people that believe that love is about a perfect union, they have less satisfying relationships because they're constantly disappointed. So when that soulmate of yours shows themselves to be the normal human being that they inevitably are, what the hell's going on? Are you my soulmate or not? You know, this isn't the deal we thought we had. You're setting yourself up for failure in a lot of ways. And, you know, we know soulmate, as much as it sounds like romantic and all those things, people that believe in that, their relationships just aren't as stable. You know, you're going to be revealed to be the normal, typical, imperfect human that you are. This romantic notion of perfection, it almost gives you this weird permission slip almost to go out and demand perfection from your partner. And and when you say that with your relationships, it's almost like, no, 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 I'm not going to settle. I have high standards. So I'm looking for the best. Gary told me that in research, there's a name for these folks, maximizers. Maximizers, he said, are people who perpetually demand the best. So much so that they are always seeking out the next best thing and they don't really fully appreciate and often lose any valuable, nourishing relationships they have in the meantime. And, and what we know is the, the opposite of a maximizer is a satisficer. And a satisficer is this idea that once I meet my predetermined level of quality, I'm going to be content. Okay, I'm going to pick my goal. I'm going to meet that goal and I'm just going to appreciate and have gratitude for the attainment of what I had already set out to do. Gary said that while that may seem like a cold way of looking at relationships, being more of a satisficer means you'll actually get to enjoy your relationships. And of course, the goal isn't to have low standards or settle for a relationship that's not healthy or safe or for someone who you like and seems great on paper but you don't really have great chemistry or potential with. You don't want to be the satisficer that has such extremely low expectations. You're going to be satisfied with anything. When I was this undergrad in psychology, I had this psych professor who said, you know, you want to be happy. It's really simple. Just have really low expectations and you will be happy. And that's true. Sadly, that is true. But it's an awful way to live, right? And so like if you're a satisficer that's just going to be kind of satisfied with the the bare minimum, and you're just going to be content, then you're probably underselling yourself. I asked Dr. Lewandowski what he thinks of a common message we hear, that you must be complete and quote-unquote healed and really love yourself in order to be loved. Something I probably said or believed at one point, I now know that that has a lot more nuance. Love can be healing after all, and growth and healing can be lifelong. Which brings us to another myth he debunked, that you have to be 100%, quote, ready in order to be loved or to start a new relationship. I think, you know, at the, at the worst case scenario, that there are times in your life when you're better off figuring out who you are before you start figuring out yourself in the context of someone else, right? But I also think in general, like once you've met a certain threshold, you can really convince yourself that you're never ready. If you wait to be ready for things, honestly, I've never been ready for anything, right? When I met my wife and we got married, was I ready to get married? No, but it worked. Was I ready to have a kid? No, I wasn't ready to be a dad. I, honestly, it really wasn't ready, but it worked out. And so 
I think in the context of relationship, you may not be ready, fully ready, but if your partner, as they should, helps you to become a better person, like your incomplete self, imperfect and unsure, and their incomplete self, imperfect and unsure, together you can help each other figure each other out. Dr. Lewandowski explores a few myths about sex in his book. One, the title of chapter five is this, if we are not having a lot of sex, we are not in love. It reminded me of a listener question you might recall. I received it a while ago from a woman who said that she and her husband had very satisfying sex about once a month. And while they both seemed very happy with that, she was grappling with shame given that she had heard that sex once or less per month is considered pretty sexless by some folks. There really is no normal for sex frequency or any useful reason to compare ourselves and our sex lives to those of others, but that comparison is really easy to do. We don't really know what's going on in other people's bedrooms or kitchens or wherever else they're having sex. Like We don't know how much other people are doing it. And so we tend to just assume that maybe we're not doing it enough, right? And so, you know, that person that's doing it once a month, the most important thing you said was that they had a happy and fulfilled relationship. Research on the topic of sex frequency can be a bit difficult, given that it's usually based fully on self-reporting, and not everyone's great at estimating how much sex they're actually having. Or maybe they're not super willing to admit the full details. How we define sex makes a difference, too. Many young people think they are quote-unquote virgins, for example, because they have only engaged in oral sex or fingering. But Gary pointed out that there are some large-scale research findings that show general trends. It's something like, you know, by the time you're 40, you're having half as much sex as you were as when you were 25. You know, it goes down like 3% or so every, every year. It's to be expected. And, and sex, it's important, don't get me wrong, but it's not nearly as important as people think. It's not as, it shouldn't be as central to your relationship. So asking if you're having enough sex is probably the wrong question entirely. Because we know sexual frequency doesn't actually relate to relationship satisfaction. I feel like that bears repeating. Sexual frequency doesn't actually relate to relationship satisfaction. Let's consider that our next myth, that how often you have sex determines how satisfying your relationship is. Lots of studies show this over and over and over again, that you, you measure someone having sex five times a week to someone who's having once a week or having once a month. Those numbers, right, your, your sexual stats, so to speak, are not actually dictating how happy you are in your relationship. And it goes both ways. It's not the people that are happier aren't having more sex. Get this, it's the opposite. People are more likely to have sex in the relationship when the relationship's not going well. And, you know, a lot of times people that feel like they're not having enough sex will do, um, I'm sure you've heard of these things, maybe we talk about them, like sex challenges. Like we're gonna do a sex challenge. We're gonna do a seven day sex challenge. We're gonna have sex every single day for seven days. Or, you know, for the more ambitious or energetic, a 30 day sex challenge, right? And they, they kind of fall into the same myth where it's like, oh, the more sex you have, the better relationship you're gonna have. They turn out, like someone actually did that study where they brought couples in, they flipped a coin basically and said, you guys just keep doing what you've been doing. You guys are basically in a sex challenge condition. You're going to have a lot more sex. And it turned out after they followed them by the end, the, the sex challenge people were doing worse. They enjoyed sex less. Their moods were worse. Like it, it just, it didn't really help them. 
you're doing it for the wrong reasons. And, and there's all kinds of things that go into it. It's not like, you know, hey, if once is good, five times is better. That's not really how it works. Physical intimacy of any kind is, is, is important. And, and really what the research shows, it's not the number that matters. It's quality, not quantity. Lots, lots of people in a study of, of older adults, and really what they found was the key element for sexual satisfaction was an extensive sexual repertoire, which sounds really fancy, right? But it really just means the more tricks you have up your sleeve, the better your sexual satisfaction is going to be. You know, so that one time a month person that you referred to, once really, really amazing, better than every day, super mediocre. That ties in so well with last week's episode and what Dr. Megan and I explored about sexual novelty. So definitely check that out if you missed it. Sex toys, trying different positions, having sex in a new place, sharing fantasies, showering together, listening to erotica. These types of activities tend to make way for deeply satisfying sex and stronger emotional intimacy. And yes, there's research and a ton of anecdotal evidence to support that. Another myth I asked Gary about is another chapter title from his book, If We Break Up, I'll Be Broken. We may feel broken after a breakup, and some are downright traumatic. Trust me, I've been there. At the same time, we may end up growing a great deal in spite of or even because of one. We always think of breakup as this horrible experience. And it is in some ways. We tend to too easily categorize things into good things or bad things. And breakup, like lots of things, is both. And so we've spent way too much time focusing on, on the bad things. And there's a real downside to this because it makes us think that all breakups are going to be bad. Dr. Lewandowski told me about one of his all-time favorite studies. Researchers asked a bunch of people who were in a relationship how they would feel if that relationship ended. How bad would it be? And people said, oh my God, it's going to be hor horrible. It's going to be bad. I'm going to be devastated. Just the worst experience. Then the researchers did what relationship scientists would do, Gary said. They tracked them over a period of time, waiting for them to break up. And then they, they waited for those people to break up and they said, hey... How do you feel? And they didn't feel great, right? But they didn't feel nearly as bad as they thought they were going to. And that's important because if your relationship doesn't make you a better person, ending it might. Everybody deserves a great relationship. You know, great relationships seldom fail, but the bad ones do as they should and as you should want them to. Because if they do, you now have the ability to find something better. So that if we're in a relationship and you're not actually helping contribute to my sense of self and you're not helping me grow and become a better person, it's addition by subtraction when we break up because relationships should do that. Relationships should help you develop and grow and become a better person. And your partner should be like one of your number one people for that. So if your partner is not helping you grow and become a better person, like I said, it's addition by subtraction because now I can get rid of you and find that great relationship I deserve to help me become better. I asked Gary about the personal growth he's experienced because of his own relationship. My wife, she's a social worker. She is like one of the kindest, most caring people I know. And it's definitely something that I've learned from her. 
I grew up in a very blue collar, very, you know, I was a, like one of the first people in my entire family to go to college. And growing up, I had this like me for like, I have to go, I have to, you know, I'm worried about me. And through knowing her, I've gained a better perspective and, and completely have flipped around. In fact, you know, that caring about other people is everything. It is everything. Like if you're going out in the world and you're not trying to help other people live a better life, you're completely doing it wrong. I was a much more selfish, self-centered, you know, I'm going for the top, you know, it's more self-ambitious probably in a way. I, I sound like horrible, but you know, it's fair. I, you know, my wife has definitely made me a better person. Dr. Lewandowski's book is full of tips and practices for improving a healthy primary relationship. I asked him for one piece of advice he would choose for all of us to go away with. So if there's one thing you want to do to make your relationship better is spend more time focusing on what goes well. And that is easy to say, but hard to do because we tend to take the good for granted. We're similar to our partners and that helps us be compatible, but we don't appreciate that. We notice the times where there's friction and we're different. So much so that we'll convince ourselves that opposites attract, which isn't true. Our partner is a great source of comfort. They're someone that we can be close to. There's just so much friendship and caring and kindness between two partners that work so well that a lot of times we're too busy or the shiny objects of the conflict and the problems that we have distract us that we just, we don't think about our relationships nearly as much as we should. And so, you know, part of this advice would be to spend a little bit more time thinking about your relationship and in, in especially focusing on what's going right instead of what's going wrong. To learn more about Dr. Gary Lewandowski's work, follow him on Twitter at LewandowskiPhD and check out his website, GaryLewandowski.com. So what if a lot has gone wrong in a relationship, so you've broken up and can't seem to let go or move on? Several people asked me about this in my latest survey that I sent out to my mailing list. So I asked Dr. Megan Fleming to share her top tips for just that. How can we best move on after a breakup? August, let me first start by saying breakups are hard. And that's why we often talk about a broken heart. And so my first piece of advice is having compassion for yourself and really creating and prioritizing time to take care of yourself, mind, body, and soul. Um, some of my other sort of recommendations about how to move on after a breakup include sort of ripping off the band-aid. You know, so often people understandably have spent, you know, months and years with somebody and, you know, in a sense, they've been their best friend and They've planned futures together, and it's really hard to say goodbye. That being said, the best way to move on is to rip it off like a Band-Aid. And that includes all social media. You want to have zero contact, not even a sense of you're going to, you know, catch up with them in three months or six months. Like to move on, you have to really say goodbye. And part of saying goodbye is mourning. Really, this is a loss. It's a significant loss. And so really giving yourself the space and the time to grieve, as well as to get to a place of acceptance that for all the reasons it didn't work out, it was limited. Something about it ultimately, despite your best efforts, 
you know, doing 100% or 50%, as I say, it didn't work out. And so it is about accepting that, that it's over and then coming to the place of reflection. This is another key point, which is what did I learn? What did I learn about myself in that relationship? Because if we're doing it right, we're constantly growing and learning from the intimate relationships that we're in. And sort of my next tip is to connect, right, really to your friends, to activities, to things that give you pleasure, to your body, right, to all the things that, you know, really sort of fill you up and, you know, inspire you and give you joy. Sort of the last step and recommendation I have is asking for help, accepting help, and that when and if the help you're getting from family and friends isn't enough. Again, in this place of compassion for yourself, seek professional help because, listen, relationships are hard, breakups are hard. And, you know, in many ways, just like romantic love is a drug, the breakup is sort of a drug of the pain. And we know that psychological pain registers in our body like physical pain. So when and if you're finding that it's really a struggle and you're having a really difficult time moving on, I cannot highlight enough the value of seeking a qualified therapist and getting the professional help. Breakups are hard, but we truly do learn and grow from them. And when we say goodbye to something, sort of closing a door, we're really opening up a window, a door, another opportunity. Thanks so much, Dr. Megan. I love those tips. And I'll just add that one thing that's really helped me is seeking community and really turning to people, reaching out to people who are friends, family members. Many of my friendships and family relationships have strengthened in my times of heartbreak. I also really recommend animals, whether you have a pet or you could volunteer to walk a dog at a shelter. There is something about that bond with animals, that unconditional love and their excitement, their unique personalities, and also taking care of another being can be really healing. And certainly cuddly, snuggly stuffed animals and blankets, those weighted blankets can be helpful too. But really taking care of yourself, as as Megan said, is so important and knowing that there is support out there. And don't do that trauma or challenge comparison thing. I know it's so easy to go, I just broke up with someone. Maybe you dated for like a couple weeks or a couple months and it seems like you shouldn't be hurting so much. That is garbage talk that your brain is telling you. (laughs) Please, please give yourself the grace and the permission to seek the help and support that you need because you deserve it. If you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, please join me on Patreon. I'm really loving building a community. Speaking of which, there, I share all kinds of fun extras. Every month, you'll get either a mini bonus episode or some kind of like outtakes from a chat I have with someone. I also do like worksheets and pleasure guides. You can get all kinds of things at different tiers. So check it out at patreon.com forward slash girlboner. You can also really support the show by leaving a rating and or review in your podcast app. And please, if you think of it, tell your friends about the show. If you have a friend who's been going through a breakup, I recommend sharing this episode. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week.